relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Going deeper on the big issues that matter to you. This is your exclusive podcast, America First, one-on-one, with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Donald J. Trump. Welcome, dear friends, to America First with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Trump, member currently of the National Security Education Board at the Pentagon, and host of Salem's national radio show, America First. But this is one-on-one, where we have the opportunity to talk to some special guests for the whole hour and then to drill down deep on the issues of the day. If you're not familiar with it, subscribe, tell your friends, give us a review, because we need to get the truth out. Today, uninterrupted, we are going to discuss the matters that sadly our nation is focused on today with somebody who knows them viscerate, who understands them, a decorated combat veteran who says it's not enough to serve his nation in uniform. Now he's running for Senate office. Sean Parnell, welcome to America First one-on-one. Thanks for having me, Sebastian. It's, It's great to be here. Um, for those who haven't, you, you've been, you know, you opened the faucet in the last two weeks and Sean Parnell has been <laughs> flowing out of it, telling the truth about <laughs> Afghanistan, about lack of leadership, the strategic threat. For those who've been under a rock for a couple of weeks or months, let's start by getting to know you a little better. Who is Sean Parnell? Where did he come from? Where did he hail from? And what have you been doing until you decided to run for the Senate in Pennsylvania? Yeah, so I was just a middle class kid from Western Pennsylvania. I, mean, I think my family's been from Pittsburgh uh, for like a hundred years. You know, my family been around there. Um, I was a, a elementary education major at, at Clarion University, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I remember waking up with a with a hangover, uh, laying flat on my back on this rundown couch. Looked around, see my college apartment surrounded by beer cans, staggered over to the television set, and I turned it on and watched it flicker to life just in time to see an airplane crash into the World Trade Center. America had been attacked. Um, And as a sophomore, I just felt like, how could I sit here and do nothing when ordinary American citizens are giving everything and sacrificing everything for people that they had never met before in their life? And... Like anybody who lived through 9-11, I was, I was angry. I, I was also scared, right? Um, but two days after 9-11, went to the recruiter, told him that I wanted to join the military and not just that. I wanted to be in the infantry so I could be on the front lines and then go to airborne school and then ranger school. Um, I wanted to be the best leader that I could for my troops and then eventually had an opportunity two years later after I graduated from college. I mean, literally college kid to combat leader in two years. Uh, found myself on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan with a mission of uh, find Osama bin Laden. So who were you serving with? What was your MOS? Talk to us about your military career, Sean. Yeah, so I was an infantry officer. Um, My MOS was 11 Alpha. 
Um, I, and I served in the 10th Mountain Division up at Fort Drum, New York. So anybody that's watching this knows, you know, there's two seasons there, uh, July and winter. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, uh, but I took an infantry platoon in, uh, in a 2nd Battalion, 87th Infantry Regiment in Bravo Company. 3rd Platoon, uh, a platoon that was nicknamed the Outlaws. Um, and in fact, that's the, t- the title of my book is Outlaw Platoon. And it's literally just their story, their time and 485 days of combat along the Afghan-Pakistan border. Um, And I got to my unit in 2005. And back then, we knew that we were going to Afghanistan, but that's really all we knew. And intelligence from the front was was very scarce. In fact, if you remember, uh, the eyes of the nation were wholeheartedly fixated on the Iraq war at the time. Remember the debate over weapons of mass destruction um, and then and then the buzzwords, the surge, you remember that, right? Like, should George W. Bush send more troops to the Iraq war in a war that he was losing anyway? That was the debate on Capitol Hill. Um, so we thought that that the Afghan war was just going to be a stability and support operation. Um, and so we trained. We did everything that we could to shoot, move and communicate together um, as a team, because as one of my um, non-commissioned officers told me, Sir, we've got to we've got to learn to work together uh, because when that first bullet cracks by your head, the individual doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is this team. And we're only going to be as fast or as good as as our slowest person. And so we did everything we could to be an effective fighting force. And we got our chance to do some fighting in 2006 along the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. That's for sure. So let me um, I've not served in the U.S. military. I've trained and educated thousands of members of the various services. You name a service, I've worked with them. I was a DOD civilian and strategist in the White House. I did serve in the British Territorial Army. But let me give you my take and tell me what's missing and whether it's wrong. The last 20 years saw amazing operations in October of 2001, the hunt for UBL, the hunt for the AQ training camps in Afghanistan, the removal of the Taliban regime with the leverage of 20-odd thousand Northern Alliance uh, fighters, was textbook uh, IW. It was irregular warfare of, of the most exquisite variety. Then we saw mission creep, the likes of which we've never seen before, the attempt to nation build in a part of the world where a nation has never existed, uh, trying mm-hmm. to create a homogenous Afghanistan that uh, Alexander the Great, the Soviets and the British failed to do. And then the most egregious of all is every six months or every 10 months, a shifting of the goalposts where the Pentagon, the political leadership would say, now we're doing this. Now we're doing something else. It's coin, it's nation building it's surgical yeah. strike uh, which is like trying to play football and then every every you know 15 minutes they change the rules of the game and then we have uh, two days ago three days ago the CENTCOM commander stunningly stunningly in uniform declare the war over and in my study of war for the last 3,000 years, wars have only ended when you are defeated or you defeat the enemy or they surrender. Neither of those things occurred in this case. Am I missing anything, Sean? Fill out the picture from the the, the point of view of an operator who was in theater. No, you're absolutely right. Um, And I, gosh, you hit it spot on. It's like where there are so many angles to this. Where do you jump in? Um, I will tell you that in 2006, 
our mission was strictly a counter-terror mission, right? In, in other words, find, find the enemy, fix them, destroy them. Um, and in doing so, um, you would protect and secure the, the Afghan people. And so for 485 days, now, by the way, by the way, we only were supposed to be in Afghanistan for a year. So all yeah. the while we were hunting the enemy and, and what we thought was going to be a 12 month deployment. And we killed over 350, um, 350 enemy fighters. Now, these were enemy fighters from the Akani network, which you now see in Kabul, uh, Hekmatyar, which you now see in Kabul, um, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban also all interwoven in this sort of interim government in Kabul right now. We fought all of them, Sebastian, and and we were very effective at it. And and so at the tail end of our deployment, right, and we had almost been overrun multiple times. I mean, one of the things that we found in Afghanistan uh, was that we were not facing a ragtag insurgency group of farmers, right? These were hardened warriors who had fought um, in the Afghan civil war um, in the 90s in the, against the Russians in the 80s, even before that. And then they're fighting against us in a post 9-11 world. I mean, these, these the average 18-year-old private, right, in, in, the, in the American military, we've got the best equipment, the best gear, and some of the best training in the world. But the guys that we were fighting these guys had 10 years combat experience on any of my guys. And so these, they knew what they were doing, but uh, so, so I'm telling you all this to say we were in heavy combat with the enemy, hundreds of firefights every day, 485 days of combat. Our base took thousands of indirect fire attacks, rockets, mortars. Um, and so we were very effective at going after the enemy, find, fix, finish, close with and destroy, right? And then at the tail end of our deployment, we shifted. And I was on the battlefield during this shift where we made the shift from counterterror to counterinsurgency. In fact, my unit built the very first combat outpost. Now, these combat outposts were intended to like put every American in, in a village, right? That was the basis of coin, live among the people and help, is this help the them same secure as their the, Is this the same as the FOBs, the forward operating bases, or is this something different, Sean? You're a little bit different. These were... These were small offshoot bases that were attached to FOBs, okay. right? Or that FOB, FOBs could support. So essentially could be manned by a single platoon. Wow. Um, and so so the point was, is to build all these little combat outposts and, and villages all along the Afghan-Pakistan border. And, and essentially move from a counter-terror strategy to a coin strategy. In our base, right, we had a bunch of combat engineers come out and build our base. We were, we were building a base in probably the most dangerous place in Afghanistan. And the engineers who were building our base left because it was so dangerous. And we were left there in January uh, of 2007 in a half-filled base and a combat outpost in one of the most where, dangerous places on the planet. Where is that? In a place called Marga. Combat outpost Marga. Okay. So l let me... Let me run something past you, Sean. And again, I, I want you to be my sanity check as a guy who's been teaching COIN and IW and CT for decades now for, for the U.S. and her partners. I identified a, a little dirty secret that nobody wanted to admit, admit here in Washington. Not Petraeus, not McChrystal, not the Secretary of Defense. Nobody wanted to admit. And I looked at the history of counterinsurgency, the British, the French, uh, Indochina, Northern Ireland, Mau Mau Rebellion, you name it. And I found this interesting commonality. Counterinsurgency, meaning 
when you are whacking insurgents and when you are helping another nation to do it, host nation support, like the Afghans or the Iraqis, there's two things you need. And these are non-negotiable requirements for the coin mission to function. Number one, the guys you are helping whether it is a government in Africa or whether it is the post-Saddam Iraq government or the Karzai government in Afghanistan, doesn't need to be perfect because no government is perfect, but must be deemed by a sizable chunk of the population to be kind of legitimate. Not not utterly, completely corrupt. So there must be, like in Colombia, most Colombians must think, you know, they're corrupt in Bogota, but they're not too corrupt, number one. Second, the forces you're assisting, the ANSF, the Afghan National Security Forces, the Iraqis, whatever, must be able to absorb your training. They must be able to actually fight better after you train them. My time in Afghanistan as a civilian in 06... I I found out for myself, 40% of the guys we trained at the academy we created in Kabul after the last per diem was paid in cash disappeared back to their tribal areas. We trained the bad guys how to fight. So as far as I'm concerned, those two conditions, relatively legitimate governments and capacity for the host nation forces to absorb our assistance simply were not there in Afghanistan. Am I crazy, Sean? No, you're 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 not crazy. You're exactly right. Um, and and the basic premise of counterinsurgency, as you said, is you need a host nation, right? And you, a nation, a superpower, needs to be able to come in and help that host nation effectively govern and secure its people, right? That's the premise of the entire strategy. But here's the problem: in Afghanistan, it is barely considered a nation let alone one that can host another. So it's, it's strictly tribal in nature. In fact, a lot of people think that, that, that uh, the country is overwhelmed with Islamic jihadists. It's just simply not true. In the border regions, they were just introduced to Islam uh, 50 years before we were even in Afghanistan. But, but so I'm saying, so when we built all those combat outposts, Sebastian, we were attacked on the first night that we were there by a group of over 300 people, right? We, now, we knew that they were coming because we had so much combat experience. We ended up killing all of those people that tried to attack us. But I'm telling you this because in, in years after we were there, a lot of other combat outposts were built in Afghanistan. and It was essentially sort of like the Maginot Line 2.0. And we relegated ourselves to static positions all along the border, right? And that allowed the enemy to move from Pakistan across the border region and into the heart of Afghanistan, into places like Kabul. And then once they were there and entrenched, we couldn't tell the difference between enemy and ally. And we lost the initiative. We lost the initiative in 2008 in that war when we switched to coin. You're, you're doing a, a Vulcan mind meld with me. You're about to ask the question <laughs> I wanted to ask you. Talk to us about the role of Pakistan. The, the idea that they were acting in good faith. They were a partner in the region when UBL's hiding out next to their West Point. Talk to us about how much of a, a problem of Pakistan was to affect your mission in theater, Sean. Yeah. Well, if if a problem is considered them shooting at you directly every day, then, yeah, they were they were a pretty big problem for us. Um, We we worked along the Afghan Pakistan border, as I mentioned, um, with 
the, the Frontier Corps, what they call the Pakistani Frontier Corps, um, which was a subsidiary of the Northwest Frontier Corps. Now, back then, the history there is one British officer with a platoon or company's worth of Pakistani military regulars, right. right? But what we were dealing with today was just the Frontier Corps. So one mill regular officer with like this band of heathens that lived all along the Afghan-Pakistan border. You know where their allegiances lie. In fact, they knew a lot of the insurgents that were conducting cross-border attacks on us. And, and literally every single time we did a, a combat operations along the PAC border, they shot at us. And so um, we had to deal with them on the ground and the Pakistani ISI, which was basically like their version of the CIA. And we had to deal with their intel operatives every single day. And, and so when I talk about the issue of, of the United States and our relationship geopolitically with Pakistan, it seems to be one that's just on paper or maybe one that's honored just among the, the politicians in that country, because on the ground and on the border, they are certainly not our friend. That is for sure. And the idea that the, the White House is trying to pitch now for two weeks nonstop that, oh, this isn't the Taliban we were fighting. <laughs> this is 2.0 and they love women and homosexuals uh, and they're going to be inclusive and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Talk to us about that, Sean. I, am, I get so frustrated with that because the, the, the Taliban, these are the same guys that harbored 9-11, that helped facilitate uh, or that harbored al-Qaeda who attacked us on 9-11. These are the same people that have been attacking us for 20 years and killing Americans. Uh, these are the same people who over the last two weeks stopped Americans from getting to the airport so that they could evacuate safely. 100% guarantee you they're working with other terrorist groups on the ground like the Akani, well, the Akani network is woven into the upper echelons of their command. They're working with this ISIS-K. They're working with them on the ground. Heck, they released all the prisoners from prison. Yeah. And so um, they're not an organization that can be trusted. And when Joe Biden came out and said that, oh, hey, man, these guys, they're just like us. They care about the economy and putting food on the table and climate change. I, I just had to laugh because it's like, you, can you imagine a group of these dudes sitting around in a cave talking about how best to decrease their carbon footprint? It, the whole notion of it is just absurd. It's a, and, and as you're it's, it's insane. It's a slap in the face to anybody that served there or lost loved ones there. It's, it's truly a bad joke. Uh, last week, uh, President Trump was on our show, America First. And I want to now broaden the discussion beyond uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan in the last two weeks and talk about the military that you served in. This is what he had to say about political correctness and wokeness and the U.S. military. This is Cut 11, President Trump on America First. Play Cuts. You know, you talk about the greatest military, but take a look at what happened in Afghanistan. I mean, we beat the Nazis, but look at this. We're being sent out of Afghanistan. And frankly, the August 31st date is not being lengthened because they're not allowing him to do it. It's not because of him. It's because they're not allowing him any more time. Whoever thought this was possible? So with this woke culture, our military is going to be a loser and the whole country is going to be a loser. 
Talk to us, Sean, now that you're running for the Senate out of Pennsylvania, you've decided to serve as a civilian after your time in the U.S. military. Is this, some, is this one of the missions you're going to prescribe for yourself? How concerned are you, given the decisions made in the last few months in America about the politicization of the U.S. military? Yeah, uh, yeah, you're a- absolutely. This is an issue that's of vast import uh, for for me. You know, particularly all of the the woke generals and the lack of focus on the contemporary threats that we face today. So, and I'll just give you a sense of what, one example of what I mean by that. As you mentioned so articulately, uh, moving into this conversation, we've been focused on an asymmetric threat in Afghanistan and in Iraq, counterinsurgency operations. In fact, we've evolved our force into brigade combat teams to combat that threat. But the United States military right now needs to evolve to and, and quite rapidly, I would say, to face a a, a very conventional threat. And, and, and what I mean by that is we are wholly unequipped to face the communist Chinese military and we need to focus on evolving our force to meet that threat. Right. But and, and what I said, what I've been saying, I said this, I think, a couple of months ago, when you see guys like uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs talking about. Uh, critical race theory and white rage and secretary of defense doing safety stand downs for diversity and equity training or, you know, the intelligence community tapping into Tucker Carlson's phone. But they didn't even really know that the Taliban was an impending threat in Afghanistan. All of these things, any time that you are not singularly focused on the missions and the threat that the threats that we as Americans face every single day, you put American lives at risk. Right. And, the, and, and, and tragically, I think that's part of the reason why people lost their lives during this botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, because we just simply weren't focused on it. And on Tuesday, when the man who bears the title president in a very, very angry address to the nation says, it's time to come home, we've won this war, and we have to focus on the domestic threats. I guess people wearing red hats would say, make America great again. How concerned does that make you to hear that from a, a man just over more, a couple of days before the 20th anniversary of September the 11th, Sean? It, it's very concerning to me. And, and you know, he came out there and gave a, a speech to the nation. And it was this eclectic, odd mix of sort of yelling and whispering. Um, and he said that it was an extraordinary success. 13 Americans lost their lives. Can you imagine being a Gold Star family and watching that? Yeah. We left Americans behind. We left our allies behind. And, and, and then here's the thing that really blew me away, right? He's out there saying it's an extraordinary success. And then on in the very next breath, breath he blames President Trump. He blames the Afghan people. He blames, the Ameri- he blames Americans for not getting to the airport on time. So if it was an extraordinary success, as he said, would he have to blame anybody? Right. And what is the solution? What is your message God willing, you you get into the Senate. What is your message right now to your brothers in arms who are still in the Brotherhood, still deployed, or those who lost limbs and bled for this nation in the last 20 years, Sean? Yeah, listen, at our core, 
we are liberators and we are protectors, right? We are part of the greatest, most lethal, but also benevolent force, military force the world has ever known. You are part of that brotherhood and sisterhood. You need to be proud of your service. You know, serving for the for the man and woman next to you. Um, and the future is very bright because we have elections every two years in this country. And I'll tell you right now, one of the things that I, I think it, 2022 is going to be an incredible year for us for, in a lot of ways. And, and I think there are hundreds of thousands of independents that maybe pulled the lever for Joe Biden, thinking he was going to be old Scranton Joe, moderate unifier. Clearly, right in the first eight months of his presidency, we see that that is not the case. In fact, he has tracked hard left. And one of the things that I hear all the time, Sebastian, and this is from independents and, and moderate Democrats in Pennsylvania, many people wonder if Joe Biden's running the show. Yeah. I think you and I would say clearly he's not. Right. Um, but there, I think that there are millions of people in this country who, when he addressed the nation and said, and after he talked, said, I've got... I've got a list of reporters I'm supposed to call on. A light bulb went off for a lot of people. It's like, no, wait. I've been instructed. I've been instructed to call upon. <laughs> yeah. that. That's the shocking language. Yeah. Who, who's instructing the man who can launch our nuclear weapons as to exactly. who, who he's allowed to talk to? We're talking to Sean Parnell. Follow him right now on Twitter, Sean Parnell USA. Sean uh, is the author of numerous works, Fact and Fiction, Outlaw Platoon is the book you've got to read about his experience in Afghanistan on the AFPAC border. Also, he's got a brand new fiction book coming out next week, which um, couldn't think of a more apposite title, sadly, Left for Dead. Sean, um, everybody needs to follow you. It needs to support you. The website is ParnellForSenate.com. That's ParnellForSenate.com. Walk us through the decision. Why Why did you decide that, uh, you know, it's time to serve again? Explain to us why you've taken this monumental decision, given what we witnessed them do to President Trump for the last four years. Yeah, well, so uh, w that's that's exactly why, right? This this country, I think, now more than ever, needs people uh, needs more leaders and fewer politicians. And to me, that's what President Trump represented. And one of the things that I appreciated about him the most was his ability to sort of um, resist groupthink. You know, at any any given time in Washington, the Republicans disliked him, the Democrats disliked him. But we, we, we had a, we had a saying it. in the White House for that. He said he didn't see a sacred cow he didn't like to slaughter. When <laughs> when a general, especially when a general did this, this would make him nuts. When, when a general came into his office to brief him on something like the defense of, you know, South Korea or Taiwan or whatever NATO issues. And the president said, why are we doing it this way? And the general would say, uh, uh, because we've been doing it like that for 20 years. Mr. President, yeah. that's when you would see a very angry commander-in-chief because he said, yeah. what? What do you mean? That's not a reason <laughs> just because we've been doing it like that for 20 years. <laughs> so, sorry, carry on, Sean. I, I wanted to share uh, that. Well, you know, look, you know, he he did what he promised the American people that he would that he would do. And and I have an unbelievable amount of respect for any leader that holds true to their word. And, you know, I'm not running because you know, I'm a constitutional conservative, right? Like I could I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. My loyalty is to that. 
And if that means that I've got to stand up to the Republican Party when when our party is wrong, and guess what? Our party is wrong a lot, right? If that means I've got to stand up to the Republican Party, uh, I will. And I'm definitely not afraid to lock horns with the radical left and not relent. And I think that's the number one quality that our voters want, right? And that independents want is someone that is willing to not back down and fight for their values, right? And so I got in this fight uh, because you know, I'm in it for one reason and one reason only, to protect and preserve the American way of life and the American dream. Like, I think we have a duty and obligation as Americans to pass down to the next gener generation a country that is free and rich with opportunity. And, and the first time in my life, I'm not sure that that's going to happen because the, the radical Democrats in Washington are, are destroying all of the fundamentals that help us build and live the American dream. And we need more leaders that are unafraid to stand up to the, to the radicalism and say, no, this is a line you will not cross. And so, um, you know, I, I, to me, this is about service to the people first, last and always. I'm not a career politician. You know, I'll probably go down to Washington for maybe one or two terms, do everything that I can to shrink the size and scope of the federal government because I believe that there's a direct correlation between a small federal government and more freedom in your life. And then I will buy a farm in Western Pennsylvania and probably never talk to anybody again. That's my mission is so, to serve the people and to represent this state. Sounds like a plan. The website is parnellforsenate.com. <laughs> Follow him at Sean Parnell USA. The book is Outlaw Platoon. You, you mentioned, Sean, the, the establishment GOP or the, the people that you may disagree with uh, on your side of the aisle. In your estimation, how much of an obstruction is the establishment on out? The left's going to be crazy. The left's doing the le thing they do. Nancy Pelosi refused on Tuesday, refused to allow members of the House to read the names of the 13 killed in Kabul. That, that's what the Democrat Party, that's not AOC, that's not Bernie, that's the Speaker of the House. So we understand who they are in your estimation how much or, or how uh, much are you stimulated are you encouraged to do what you do because you see this weakness on our side sean yeah i i you know one of the things that frustrates me the most with the republican party is that we don't always stand together you know um the, the democrats doesn't matter how radical a position is and i'll use defund the police as an example if you told me four years ago that a main policy objective of the new Democrat Party was to defund the police and this anti-police rhetoric. And you're, and by the way, you're seeing the deadly consequences of that in almost every major city in the country. Philadelphia right now in, in Pennsylvania is the murder capital of, of America right now. And I, I believe that it's because of the anti-police rhetoric, rhetoric of the Democrat Party. Um, but it doesn't matter how radical they are. They all circle their wagons and they stand together. And what frustrates me sometimes about the establishment or career politicians is that they allow our party to be fractured when, we're, when in reality we should be standing together and fighting against the radical left because that a house that's divided against itself can't stand. And, and the radical left knows that and they almost rely on the Republican Party falling, falling apart and attacking one another in times of crisis. And that, that's one of the things that I seek to change, right? It, like, let's stand together, let's fight to preserve this country, and, and, and let's fight as a team, just like we did in Afghanistan. Because if we let our petty differences in Afghanistan divide our platoon, I would not be on your show today. I would have died over there somewhere. And so uh, we've got we've to fight together here. 
uh, in this country to save to save this to save this great country. Uh, gentlemen, ladies, if you like what you're listening to, please spread the word. Don't forget that you can check us out. Also, all the new gear, America First. If you want to be an individual who sends a proud message to all around you of what you believe in, check out our new store, sebgorkastore.com. You can get all the books that I've written on the jihadi threat, the one that got me into the White House, Defeating Jihad, and Why We Fight the War for America's Soul, and then our new gear, brand new gear. The shirt that we made to honor the president, we mentioned it when he was on the show. It's the shirt that says, if you're woke, you're a loser. <laughs> you can get it too. He was very excited. Go to sebgorkastore.com. That's sebgorkastore.com. And as a a personal favor to me you're listening to this man you understand he wants to fight let's support another great patriot our good friend america's mayor the left truly is trying to destroy him uh, they're trying to strip him of his law license they're trying to bankrupt him go to rudy giuliani freedom and support this great great patriot that took down mafia families got new york back on its feet after 9 11 that's rudy giuliani freedom rudy giuliani freedom Sean, um, let me um, ask you specifically, because we are broadcasting across the nation, uh, talk to the people of Pennsylvania, because you're running for Senate. It's ParnellForSenate.com from the state of Pennsylvania. Your family's hailed from Pennsylvania for generations. What are you going to do differently? What does Pennsylvania need from D.C.? Well, I'll tell you right now. Um, one of the first votes that I take when I get into the United States Senate is to ban critical race theory in, in our schools and in our military. Um, you know, I'm always going to protect the Second Amendment. Shall not be infringed is something that's very clear to me. And I think every American family deserves uh, to be able to protect themselves and their family any way that they see fit. Um, you know, obviously, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of our military and our veterans. I will never let the radical left defund the police. We're going to secure the border. We're going to ban sanctuary cities. I am. I stand opposed to vaccine mandates. If you want the vac, if you want the vaccine, by all means, consult with your doctor and get the vaccine. But let no government mandate it. Um, I'm for school choice and allowing people to choose a school that best suits the needs of their child. Bottom line is, Sebastian, the more freedom that we have in our lives to chart our own path, and that means life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for anybody in this country, the better we are, the better off we are as a country. And, and that's my mission, and that's what I'm going to do for, for every Pennsylvanian. Your message to those who think that uh, things are so bad, COVID, the economy, that it's government's job to provide that safety net, to help them, to send those checks. What's, what's your uh, answer to those who think, you know, government is here to help? Yeah, listen, it's always darkest before the dawn. Keep the faith. Stay in the fight. I need you, right? If you want to get involved in saving this country, in fact, I'll tell you what. Like everywhere I go, I hear from people that are like, but what can I do? 
just me. I'm just one person. One person can change the world. Volunteer in your area. Organize. Bring people together because you know what? The radical left, they don't stop organizing. We have to organize and we have to fight just as as tough as, as they do. And so get involved in my platoon. Volunteer. We'd love to have you. Uh, and, and get in the trenches with us and, and let's fight to save this country together and just keep the faith. And, and when it comes to the events of the last few days, the last few weeks, your reaction is somebody who's, uh, I, I'm sure, seen people die right next to you in theater, who served uh, in Afghanistan. What is, what is your response to those flag officers, those politicians who say the war is over, that they've declared an end to this war three days ago? Every general officer that oversaw the withdrawal of Afghanistan should be ashamed of themselves. We didn't get driven out of Afghanistan by a superior military force. We didn't get run out of town by an army that was bigger and stronger than ours. We got run out of town by by the Taliban. We don't take orders or dictates or mandates from the Taliban. And so for me, I, I ask myself every day, why does the Secretary of Defense still have a job? Why does the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs still have a job? Why does this Jake Sullivan kid still have a job? Why does Secretary of State Blinken still have a job? They fail. It's not like leaving Afghanistan was going to be a secret. We knew for a long time we were going to be leaving Afghanistan. So what were they doing? What was the Biden administration doing for the last eight months to make sure that we were singularly focused on that mission and to make sure that our country could successfully retrograde, get our people, our allies and our soldiers out of there without loss of life? And when you Clearly, hear they so- weren't focused. And when you hear somebody like General Milley say that uh, I want to study white rage and white and CRT being taught at West Point is fine. Or you hear an Anthony Blinken say the State Department's uh, international priority is to uh, fight uh, white supremacy. How do you react? Yeah, it's insane because you only have so many hours in the day to be a leader in the military. You don't join the army and raise your right hand, take an oath to protect and defend this, defend this country, and then become an officer unless you're willing to lay down your life for your troops, right? That's it. Any distraction from that mission, right, and, and accomplishing the mission and bringing your people home safe risks getting people killed. And General Milley, Chairman of Joint Chiefs, Secretary of Defense Austin, as long as they're out there focusing on white rage and critical race theory, they're putting America's sons and daughters at risk. And I got a real problem with that because they are our most precious natural resource. They're the best of us. These are the people that raise their right hand, volunteer to serve this country and know that they're going into the fight. We need to be careful with with America's sons and daughters. And as long as our general officers and our flag officers are focused on things other than bringing them home safe, they're not doing their job. The book is Outlaw Platoon, about his experience on the AFPAC border of fighting uh, the good fight. His new fictional thriller is out next week, Left for Dead. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean Parnell USA. He's running for the Senate out of Pennsylvania. The website is parnellforsenate.com. Uh, lastly, you want people, how can they help you? How can they support you or volunteer? They just go to this website, Sean? Yeah, if you want to help save this country, uh, please chip in to parnellforsenate.com. We could really use your help uh, and, and get in the fight with us. We'd love to have you. 
join his platoon. God bless you, Sean. Thank you for your service and Godspeed all the way to the swamp because we need some more people to drain the swamp of those swamp monsters. As ever, you've been listening to America First one-on-one. Keep your head on a swivel, watch your six, hold the line, never give up, never give in, and stay frosty. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.